Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. California voters will decide in November if the state should restore affirmative action. This after the state Senate voted yesterday to place a constitutional amendment on the ballot. KQED's Katie Orr has the story. The measure, ACA 5, would overturn a ban on affirmative action California enacted in the 1990s under Governor Pete Wilson. It prohibited the state from considering race, gender, and ethnic diversity in hiring, contracting, and college admissions. Senator Holly Mitchell says the ban has created barriers for women and minorities. She says we must acknowledge that we're not living in a colorblind society. In actuality, The data suggests the complete opposite, that our society is distinctly unequal along clear racial and gender stratifications. Previous efforts to modify the state's affirmative action ban have failed, but supporters believe the current mood of the country could help this attempt be successful. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. California voters will decide whether to grant people convicted of a felony the right to vote once they're on parole. State legislators just voted to put the issue on the November ballot. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati has more. Eighteen states already allow felons to vote while they're on parole. Senator Stephen Bradford, a Democrat from Los Angeles, says California's ban on parolee voting disproportionately disenfranchises people of color. Without the ability to vote, Their voices are silent, and they have no voice in this, what we call, democracy. But Senator Jim Nielsen, Republican from the Sacramento Valley, says Californians on parole haven't finished serving their time. A part of their sentence includes the parole period of adjustment to free society. The vote in favor of placing the measure on the ballot was almost entirely along party lines, with just one Republican senator crossing over to support the idea. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Perhaps no one has been as vocal during the COVID-19 pandemic than infectious disease expert Dr. Anthony Fauci. He is often the bearer of bad but indispensable news. He spoke with CAP Radio's Sammy Kayola at a Sacramento Press Club event yesterday. Don't worry, it was virtual. Here's Sammy with the highlights. California has seen a concerning rise in hospitalizations this month from COVID-19. Health officials say it's partly due to backyard parties and other family gatherings. I asked Dr. Fauci about how health officials can discourage this. I do that, Sammy. And then, you know, I'm the Grinch that's, that stole fun, <laughs> the, the anti-fun guy. It's so understandable, the urge and the need to get back to normal. Uh, unfortunately, we have to put that aside a bit. You got to try 
to the best of your ability to have your social interactions in a modified way. He says that means wearing a face covering and standing at least six feet apart. As far as whether or not California moved too fast with reopening the economy, Fauci says he trusts Governor Gavin Newsom's judgment. You don't really need to go back to lockdown. You need to pause and say, wait a minute, we're starting to opening and things aren't going right. What do we need to do to correct that? Now, you may need to stay where you are and impose a few more restrictions or maybe back up a little. But again, just like you don't want to open in an all or none You don't want to start locking down completely. He says that while California isn't in the same dire situation as Sunbelt states like Florida and Texas, he does expect the next few weeks will be crucial for us. For The California Report, I'm Sammy Keola in Sacramento. Three months into the pandemic, tests remain scarce. Early on at UC Berkeley, Dr. Jennifer Doudna, who co-discovered CRISPR gene editing technology, transformed her lab into one focused on COVID testing. And with her team came up with a saliva-based test. They've been trying it out on campus this week. And here we call these our spit stations. So we have four of these. And as you can see, they're nicely socially distanced. No uncomfortable swabbing required. Getting more tests done matters because right now, most tests are reserved for people showing COVID-19 symptoms. The target here, those who aren't yet. Here's Dr. Doudna explaining the pivot at her lab. Normally, we would, all of us would be involved in academic research where we're investigating new things and trying to learn new, new truths about biology, but... And you stopped all of that. We stopped all of that. That's right. We stopped all of that about three months ago, and uh, we decided to focus our efforts 100% on creating a clinical testing lab where we could provide testing, because it was clear, you know, back then that, and it's been borne out, that, you know, testing is, first of all, really limiting in this country, and also that it's critical for controlling the pandemic. We have to know who's infected and help them protect their own health as well as uh, avoid transmitting the virus. And so uh, I was lucky because I run an institute called the Innovative Genomics Institute, which is a partnership between UC Berkeley and UCSF here in the Bay Area. And that allowed us to take the team that we have at the institute, all of whom had been focused on CRISPR, uh, genome editing, sort of an exciting new technology for correcting disease-causing mutations, And all of those folks who wanted to volunteer for the testing effort have refocused their energies with what we're doing here. Just thinking about scalability of something like this, um, you had to pay a certain per unit price to get this off the ground. Is that, whatever that price is, if you're comfortable sharing it, is it a prohibitive cost to bring this to scale so that beyond this campus you can still get this done? Right now, our test costs about $40 a test. $40. So it's not, it's not inexpensive. But that takes into account everything that we've done. It's the supplies, but it's also the, the staffing that we have. It's also the, uh, the equipment costs that we've incurred. Everything, right? That's the all-in cost. And just for comparison, if you were to go to Quest or LabCorp, which are two major companies that do laboratory testing, and to get a, uh, a coronavirus test, it would cost between $100 and $200 mm. for a test. So our test is a lot less. 
And the other thing is that at Quest and LabCorp, I'm not sure what's happening today, but when we looked into it a few weeks ago, their turnaround time for those clinical tests was seven to 10 days. Okay, it was a long turnaround time. We've worked very hard here to have our turnaround time be 48 hours. And um, in some cases, we haven't met that, that goal, but we, that's, our, that's our, our generally what we aim to do. And we've been, we've been pretty good. Most of our tests are turned around in that period of time. So take me back to the moment where you realize this is something where I need to stop what I'm doing, this really important work, and do this other thing now. For me, the moment was in early March. I still kick myself for why, why didn't I start even sooner, you know? And the trigger for me was that my son was in a robotics uh, club and they were holding a, um, down in Fresno, they were holding a robotics match for high school students coming from around California. And he had begged me to be allowed to go. And my husband and I were very nervous about it, but we, we finally said, well, okay, we'll let him go. So. He got on the train, and um, I woke up that that night at about two in the morning. And I said, you know, I I'm just I can't sleep. I'm I'm so worried about him getting exposed. So we literally got in the car and drove to Fresno, wow. drove three hours to Fresno, and you can imagine he was not very pleased to see me uh, at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but we took we we did get him to convince him to get back in the car and go home with us. And as we were driving out of the parking lot in Fresno we heard that they had called it off and they sent oh, all wow. the kids home. Okay. And so I, I got back to my lab that day and I, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about that event. And I thought, you know, th this, this, is a, this is a brewing disaster, you know, around California. And we, we have to be working on using our, our energies and our, our expertise to address this, this, uh, this, this public health crisis. And, um, it, you know, one could, you know, spend years doing research on a therapeutic, and that's certainly important, but I thought, how can we have an immediate impact? How can we do something that, you know, within weeks or less even is going to start having a really uh, useful impact on the, on the pandemic? We're all different because of this pandemic. Our work is going to be different. How do you think your, right, your day job, uh, what was once your day job, is going to be different after this? the way you approach it? Well, I think there are t a couple of things that come to mind. One is that I used to travel every week. Every week I was on a plane. And um, I don't want to do that anymore, you know, because this, is, this experience has showed me that uh, it's actually pretty great to be uh, hanging out with my, my team and, you know, working very closely with the group and seeing how much we can get accomplished in a short period of time. And I, you know, I found myself at, you know, during this whole experience asking myself, like, why was I doing that? Why was I flying all over the world frantically? You know, I don't really think that's probably what I want to go back to. So that's one thing. But I think on the, uh, on the research side with science, I think that, you know, I'm very excited about what we've achieved so far at the Innovative Genomics Institute here. We've shown ourselves that with a focused effort and pulling a team like this together, we can do extraordinary things. We can, you know, we, we can achieve something amazing in a very short period of time. So I think that for all of us that have been through this experience together, we, we feel that you know, we're energized and we want to now, when we have the opportunity, pivot our focus back to what we were doing, but do it in, do science in a new way, in a, in a more, I would say, a more collaborative way. Um, and in a way that will encourage um, more sort of team uh, work 
we would love to take this clinical lab that we've now set up, which, by the way, is you know the first time in the history of the University of California, Berkeley, that we've had a clinical laboratory of this type that, you know, because we're not a medical school, right? And so to have that now opportunity to bring in clinical samples, I think is making a lot of our, our faculty and students at, at Berkeley start thinking about what they could do with uh, clinical samples. And so we hope to expand that effort over time and use it as a way to do innovative research, but with a more clinical focus going forward. That was Dr. Jennifer Doudna, co-founder of CRISPR Gene Editing Technology at UC Berkeley. The American Civil Liberties Union of Northern California and Fresno County's Registrar of Voters have settled a lawsuit that will allow a church with Black Lives Matter banners to host a ballot drop box. Valley Public Radio's Laura Sitsui has more from Fresno. Reverend Tim Cutsmark with the Unitarian Universalist Church of Fresno says the building was a polling place for two years before the county removed it ahead of the November 2018 election. So the county got a, a complaint from one person who said that Black Lives Matter movement was a terrorist organization. Cutsmark says the settlement affirms the church has a First Amendment right to post the signs and highlight racial injustice. And while it won't be a polling place, the church will house a ballot drop box for the next four years. Cutsmark says since the suit was filed, Fresno has reached a turning point. City Hall is encouraging activists to paint Black Lives Matter on the street in front of the City Hall. So I think we are at a time of change, of steps forward in the crusade for racial justice in this country. The church has been hosting weekly vigils outside since the killing of George Floyd. However, it has yet to resume in-person services. For The California Report, I'm Laura Satsui in Fresno. Unemployment has exploded across the country during the coronavirus pandemic, and Los Angeles is no exception. More than 20 percent of workers in L.A. are out of a job, and KPCC's David Wagner reports the numbers are even higher in L.A.'s black neighborhoods. For Andre Shirley, becoming a Starbucks barista was a path to stability. He's a former foster youth who has struggled with homelessness. But shortly into this pandemic, he lost that job. It shocked me. Shirley says the reason given for his dismissal was that he showed up late. He says there were only a couple of times he was a few minutes behind. Otherwise, he was always early. It infuriated me, but I understood being a black man in America, I can't show that anger or that frustration. Shirley thinks his managers didn't like him pushing back on the policy of allowing police inside the store, while other customers were kept outside. For months, he's been trying to find another job without luck. That is a fear that I wake up to every day that I do not have secure employment. It's hard being in that place again after you've worked so hard to not be there. L.A. County's overall unemployment rate is now close to 21 percent, but it's significantly higher in areas with large black populations like Inglewood and parts of South L.A., even higher-income Black neighborhoods have not been immune. In the upscale community of View Park, Windsor Hills, unemployment is now close to 33 percent. The crisis that we're seeing today is not a surprise. It has been generations in the making. Lola Smallwood-Cuevas is a researcher with the UCLA Labor Center. She says Black unemployment is disproportionately high even during the best of economic times. 
And the cause is rooted in centuries of American history. Slavery has evolved into an economy that does not value Black workers. Smallwood Cueva says fixing disparities around income, health, and criminal justice all starts with jobs. We must develop an economic solution, not simply a narrow sort of focus on police reform, but a total re-examination of our economic structure to deal with the poverty, which is really the root cause of what we're seeing play out on the streets today. Following calls from protesters, L.A. City Council is now considering up to $150 million in cuts to LAPD. Activists say the city's budget should be realigned to strengthen the social safety net. Janelle Bailey co-directs the L.A. Black Worker Center. There's a real opportunity on the table right now for cities to say that healing and taking care of the people in the city is a priority. A recent UCLA Labor Center study found that Black workers in the public sector earn nearly 50 percent more than their counterparts in the private sector and are more likely to own a home. Bailey says if L.A. wants to start solving its Black unemployment problem, that's a good place to start. For the California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. On the firing of Andre Shirley, a Starbucks spokesman said the company won't speak to private employment matters, but said it made clear its policy on allowing police inside the store. And that is the California Report for this Thursday. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the earth needs a good lawyer. And Paint Care. Ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh and tips for using it up can be found at paintcare.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 